0: Dear Jesus, thank you so much again for grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can be still and know that you're God. And Lord, we thank you for the beautiful Sabbath and this time of fellowship. And thank you, Lord, for worship in the house of the Lord. God, as we open up your word, we pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would bless us and speak to us and invigorate us God, we want an encounter with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a reminder, if you haven't noticed, if you look in your bulletin, you'll find that the very first weekend of October, we are having a church retreat. Amen? And this is going to be an exciting time. We're going to be heading to Yosemite, and uh, we'll be staying at Camp Owona. We want you to come out and join us in in this church retreat. If you're interested, please see Crystal Root. Or somebody on the social committee. And uh, we know that God is going to do some awesome things. Especially in this um, very fast-paced world. It's very important to come away and rest with Jesus. Amen? And we have some wonderful things in store for that. So make sure that you are here. Well, we are really excited about next week. Because next week is our cooking school. We also have that very special seminar taking place. But we have a cooking school taking place September 8th. And that's going to be at night time from 7 to 8.30. Now I have something I want to show you guys that's very special. So I'm going to invite Robbie and Jeremy uh, to bring something up. And this is something so special. And this introduces a new chapter in the story of Ceres. Can you say amen to that? And so what we want to introduce is something uh, very unique. And this is what it is. Why don't you guys come down here? Down there. This way. I want you guys to see something very special. I want you to notice the uh, right side of this sign. Can you say amen to that? And folks, this begins the next chapter in the series stories as we uh, go into other parts of the land. And uh, you guys need to keep straight. Thank you. And uh, so that, uh, you know, we want to take the gospel to every city. Amen. Amen. Why don't you roll that up? Thank you so much, you guys. Appreciate that. I know that uh, God has something very special in store for us as we open up His Word. Why don't we open up the Bible? Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. You know, I was reading a statistic that was very interesting, and the statistic was regarding depression. The statistic was regarding depression. It's very interesting to note that ...as the world is headed into some new directions... Uh, ...there has been an increase in the amount of depression drugs... ...that are being taken and prescribed by doctors. Uh, depression, they say one out of every ten Americans... ...has depression. And it's very interesting to note that... ...many drugs that are being prescribed at CVS... ...or Walgreens or Thrifty's or Rite Aid... ...many of them happen to be depression drugs... Now, I'm not here to tell you that uh, you should be not taking depression drugs, or you should be. What I am here to tell you is that Jesus understands depression. Can you say amen to that? Jesus knows what sorrow is all about. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was a man, now notice this, a man acquainted with grief. He was a man acquainted with grief. Normally we use that verb, uh, an acquaintance or um, acquainting oneself with something, as to describe something that's personal. And so when you see the Bible saying in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was acquainted with grief, the Bible is showing something about who Jesus is that he knows what sorrow is all about. Can you say amen to that? And I'll tell you this, you look at, when I look at my life and I see the times of suffering or the times of depression or darkness that has come over me, I have sensed the presence of God ever so close. Amen? Now we're going to notice something in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Actually, this is verse 2. Watch what the Bible says right here. It's very interesting. Looking unto Jesus, the author and what? Finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the what cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god now pay attention to this this is very important okay when you think of the cross or you think of the experience of someone being crucified it usually isn't a pleasant scene it's usually something that's described with darkness or depression But the Bible says something unique, even paradoxical here. Look at this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, what's that next word? Joy that was set before him endured the what? Cross, the negative, the darkness. Apparently, Jesus was able to endure the experience of dying in the garden and dying on the cross, all alone, completely abandoned by his friends, forsaken, seemingly forsaken by God himself. Even his own nation that he came to save, that he spent his entire life ministering to, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured that. Now that's unusual. Jesus was willing to endure all this for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Now here's the question I want to ask. When in the time of Christ's life, when he was dying, that he experienced something so special it gave him strength to finish the work that God had given him to do. In fact, when you take your Bible, let's go to the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see something so unusual, and there's very little said about this, and we're actually going to be taking a good look at this verse today. The Bible says something unique about the time that Jesus was dying in the garden. Here he is, this is the climax of his entire life. All the forces of darkness are arrayed there, Satan himself is trying to make Jesus give up. The purpose of dying on the cross would be a a way of torturing him. It wasn't designed to cause instant death. It was designed to torture somebody. And what Satan wanted was for Jesus to give up dying so that he would give up on humanity. In other words, Satan was trying to interrupt The plan of redemption. So here Jesus is in the garden. He is praying. He is pleading with God. He is asking that even God Himself would remove this cup, the cup of of death. And it was trembling in the hand of Jesus. And He Himself, the Bible says, that great drops of blood began to come from His forehead. He was in extreme stress. And this was a moment, even Jesus himself says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. This was the time of Christ's life where he had never experienced such darkness and he never experienced such sorrow. But at this very moment, when all the universe held in the balance, the Bible says something remarkable took place. Take your Bible, go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. And if you need a Bible, just look ahead of you and you'll find a Bible behind the pew. If you see somebody without a Bible, grab a Bible and hand it to them. We're going to Luke chapter 22. And let's start at verse 40. Luke chapter 22 starting with verse 40. That's page 1020 in your seminar Bibles. I know we have some guests here, so we're going to take it just a little slow. But 1020 in your seminar Bibles... Take a good look at Jesus as he's praying in the worst part of his life when the darkness is the greatest where it seems he himself is about to be crushed out by the weight of sin and guilt. Look what the Bible says in verse 40. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The book Desire of Ages describes this very moment when all the weight of the world was upon him, and he was just feeling so pressed down right to the very ground himself, and he's just praying, and he's asking for some relief. She even says that it was like nature itself was weeping over the author. And Jesus himself began to pray, and he says, take this cup away from me. He's praying that God would actually remove this mission because it's so intense. This is Jesus. The one that actually manufactured the plan of redemption. And here he is at the most horrible, most darkest part of the plan of redemption. Here he is, and the devil is just pressing upon him, give up and go home. And the Bible says Jesus began to pray, and he asked, Father, take this away from me. Nevertheless, he submits to God and says, your will be done. And he would have died right there in that garden if it wasn't for the next verse. Take a good look at the next verse. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed, more earnestly. The Bible says something so unique about this dark time in Christ's life. Apparently when it seemed that hope itself was completely lost, when Jesus himself was about to die right then and right there, all of a sudden the Bible says the an angel just appeared and you can just imagine the clouds the, departed and this light shone in the sky and an angel came right to him. And the, the word that's used there, it says, he strengthened him. The angel himself actually came to Jesus, and you can imagine, this is Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of God, and here he is, he's coming down from heaven, and there he sees his beloved commander dying. And as he swoops down, he comes close, and the Bible says this angel actually strengthened Jesus. Now what's very interesting about that Greek word, strengthen, it actually means to invigorate. It means What? Invigorate. Now, somebody please give me a definition of what it means to invigorate. Strengthen. (laughs) Please see Webster's Dictionary, huh? Anybody? What does the word invigorate mean? Please raise your hand. To revive. Okay, very good. What else? When someone is being invigorated, what's happening? I'm sorry, what? Refreshed. Okay, anybody else? Vitalize, I like that. Okay, notice this. The Bible says that when Jesus was right here, he was, he was dying right there from the stone throw, and here he is. The weight of the world is upon him. All of a sudden, an angel comes to him. The word is used, it's strengthened, but it means to invigorate. Now, this angel didn't come to save Jesus from the death that was imminent. He came to invigorate Jesus to finish the mission of dying. Now, this is where it gets so unusual. What in the world does this angel do that invigorates the Savior to finish the mission, to go further, to be betrayed by his friends, to have everyone forsake him, to be beaten, to be nailed onto a cross, and to be completely forsaken by his friends and family, and to die there in darkness? I mean, you think about the options of Jesus. He could have died right there in that garden, and that would have been enough. But part of the plan of redemption was to go the next step. And what the next step was, was more gruesome. It was more cruel than even any man has ever imagined. Satan himself manufactured it. But this angel was sent from God to apparently invigorate him to finish the task. The most difficult part of the task. What did this angel do? Now what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at two stories. So what we just did, we looked at one story, but we're going to press pause. We're going to press what on it? Pause. Pause. This isn't one of those DVD players. We're walking up to the television, we're pressing pause, okay? And now what we're going to do is we're going to turn on the next story. Everyone, take your Bible, and we are going to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, chapter 12. The book of Genesis, chapter 12, is about the life of Abraham. Abraham was a man who was called out of Babylon. He is a father of all those who will be called out of Babylon. By the way, if you need some seats, we got some seats over here in the left row. You can sit by Alejandro, so if you need some room, you can sit right here. All right, we're going to Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. First book of the Bible. And we'll go back to the other story. Genesis chapter 12. Let's start with verse 1. Now watch what the Bible says right here. Now the Lord said to Abram... Get out of your country... ...from your family... ...from your father's house... ...to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless... Those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, it's very interesting. The Bible talks in the book of Genesis about a very important figure. This individual, his name was Abraham. But prior to his name being changed, his name was Abram. Abram, father. And this was a man who was called out of a completely pagan culture. He took with him several family members, took with him many of his tribes, his servants, and all his goods, and he began to follow God to a land that he had never seen before or had been on. The Bible teaches that this land was the land of Canaan. And God was calling this figure, Abraham, this man who was willing to step out in faith to follow the voice of God wherever he would be leading. And that's very interesting. When you read Revelation chapter 14, you learn about a whole group of people who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Can you say amen to that? And so you see the life of Abraham. God says to Abraham one day, Abraham, I am calling you. I want you to leave everything that you've known, everything that you're comfortable with. I want you to take whoever will go with you. And I want you to go to this very special lamb. And I'm going to give you an inheritance. He's going to give him a what? An inheritance. So you can imagine this. Here Abraham wakes up. He tells his family and his friends, God's told me to leave this land. And I'm going to a land that God is going to bless me with. And you can imagine his friends are like, okay, Abraham, have you ever been to this land? No. Abraham, what do you know about this land? Nothing. Have you ever been there before? No. Do you know anybody there? No. Can you imagine that? Abraham left everything and he went to go follow God, willing to risk everything. And here he is, he follows God. He comes to the land of Canaan. This was the very land that God had called him to. But here's something so interesting. Now pay attention to this. When Abraham got to the land, all of a sudden, he began to experience one trial after another. And it was all in regards to that land. Take a good look at some of the things he began to encounter. The very first thing Abraham encounters after he travels such a long way, gets to this land, and you can imagine his family and their friends who are with him are probably thinking, we're going to follow you, Abraham, but we don't know where you're going. He gets to the land, and all of a sudden, the Bible says there was a great famine in the land. Can you imagine what people might have been thinking? Well, we thought this was the promised land. And can you imagine what Abraham might have been thinking himself? Then the next thing takes place, the Bible says when he gets to the land, and he goes to different parts of it, all of a sudden, the Bible says there were Canaanites everywhere. There were Canaanites everywhere. The third thing is that some of the Egyptians who were by some, who was, uh, that was located in the nearby countries, they begin to go after his wife. They wanted his wife because she was so beautiful. The fourth thing was this. When he's walking around this land, all of a sudden, internal strife takes place between his people, and his nephew's people, and all of a sudden, there was a division that took place. And then the fifth thing takes place. I mean, this is the promised land that God gave to Abraham. Can you imagine that? As soon as he gets there, there's famine. So he goes out, and all of a sudden, the Egyptians want his wife. And so then, he moves on, and he notices all these Canaanites, and by the way, the population of pagans begin to actually increase during the time of Abraham. Here Abraham is promised this very special land and the whole time all these tribulations, all these trials begin to happen. And folks, that's just like us. Many times in life when it rains, it pours. Can you say amen to that? Many times you think to yourself, God has called me to do this great thing, and when you step into it, all of a sudden, you begin to encounter obstacle, 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 backstabbing taking place. You begin to encounter strife. All of a sudden, you begin to encounter the, the wallet dry, and then it was one thing after another, and you begin to think to yourself, wait a minute, did God really call us to do this? Could, did he really actually call us to do this? And here Abraham, he's left everything to do this. And he's got a whole group of people who are wondering what what he's going to do next. Abraham was a man of faith, amen? That's a rare faith. That's a really rare faith. Something unusual takes place in the land that was promised to Abraham. The Bible says that his nephew Lot was all of a sudden... Kidnapped by some warring kings. Abraham takes 300 of his men and they go into battle and they free Lot, but they come back with uh, just very little and all of a sudden, Abraham begins to wonder to himself, I have just made enemies in this land that God promised me. And now Abraham's to himself, who's going to ambush me next? I could be walking down a road and all of a sudden a roving tribe comes and they attack my people, they attack the women and children. All of a sudden, this land was no longer safe for Abraham. There were threats all around him. He was completely isolated from where his family was because his family was in a different country and here he is with some of his, his tribesmen and some of his family and friends and here they are and they're all looking to Abraham for guidance and he probably feels completely cut off There could be threats from that nation or from that nation, from those kings who have friends. They could be coming for us. Who knows what could happen to Abraham next? And now this is where our story takes a very unusual turn. Take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, that's just three chapters later. If you're there, Genesis chapter 15, that's page 12 in your Bible. Genesis chapter 15. Now watch what the Bible says right here. It's very interesting. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a what? A vision. God appeared to Abraham one day. The Bible says he came to him in a vision. Now look at this. Saying, do not be afraid, Abram. Okay, this is very important. The very fact that God would tell Abram, do not be afraid. What does it indicate about Abraham's Constitution, you could say, right, in a mental constitution at that moment. He's freaked out. I mean, the very fact God Himself has to appear to him and says, Abraham, don't be afraid. This isn't just sort of a thought that's coming in and coming out. This is something that's weighing heavy on Abraham's mind. He's fearful. He's worried about the future. What's going to happen next? And the Bible says that God appeared to him and said, Abraham, don't be afraid. Now watch what happens next. It's very interesting. Abraham, I am your what? Shield or your protection. Your exceedingly great what? Reward. Reward. Look at verse 2. But Abraham said, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childish, uh, childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham's an older man at this time. And all of a sudden, God says to him a very special promise don't be afraid. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. Abraham replies, Yeah, God, but you know what? I'm childless still. I'm an old man. You're telling me you're going to give me an inheritance? And one of the servants is actually my heir, he's going to get everything. I have no children. You know what's very interesting? When you notice the life of Abraham when he first encounters God, God is simply speaking to him. But as you see the life of Abraham grow, you see this conversation start taking place between God and Abraham. That's why the Bible says Abraham was God's friend. When you look at the story of Moses, you see Moses when he first encounters God, he has to actually take off his shoes because he's on holy ground. And then when he sees the burning bush, the angel of the Lord appears to him through a burning bush. But later on in the further chapters of the book of Exodus, you now find Moses dwelling in the fire of God. What's happened? Because as you continue to know the Lord, you begin to become more personal with God. Can you say amen to that? And sure enough, that was the experience of Abraham. This time, Abraham gets a very special promise from God. And Abraham says, well, God, I have a question for you. How in the world is this going to take place? Because I am childless. Now, watch the reply. Verse 3 Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Verse 4 And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, now this is the most important right here. Look at this, most important part, verse 5. Then he brought him outside. God says, all right, Abraham, I want you to go outside and you can imagine the beautiful night sky. And Abraham steps out. There wasn't airplanes and power lines back then. He's out there. Now watch the next verse. Look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your, what, descendants be. In other words, at the time when Abraham felt the greatest amount of darkness, all of a sudden God tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to do something. I want you to walk outside. So you can imagine Abraham stepping outside his tent. It's kind of a chill in the air. And you can imagine the hills right there, the silhouette of the hills. The eyes start adjusting to the darkness, and you start seeing the trees. Abraham looks up. And this isn't like Modesto, California, where you see three or four stars. He goes out there, and all across the dome, there's stars. And this is so beautiful, because you can imagine, there's a star every space, all over. The night sky is so clear. And God says to Abraham, look at the stars, look towards the heavens. And count them if you can. I love God when He challenges us. Amen. In fact, when you read the book of Job, God tells Job, try to give me my age if you can. And so you can imagine Abraham's like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, hold on a second. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you can imagine when he's get to ninety, all of a sudden, wait. One, two, three, four, five, right? I mean, you can imagine this was something that was impossible to do. And as Abraham's looking around this dome of the sky, he's looking, and he's just seeing all these numerous stars that are just filling every side of his vision, every parameter, it was just way beyond it. He's looking around. And God says to him, go ahead and count them if you can, because these are going to be your descendants. Can you say amen to that? I love encounters with the Lord. Do you have an encounter with the Lord? You know, one day I was uh, working with some Chinese exchange students at MBA. And I was studying the Bible with one one fellow. And uh, I had my English Bible. And he had a Mandarin Bible. And so I would try to explain things to him. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. So I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. So I said, I'm going to read you a verse in English and I want you to find that verse in Mandarin and then I want you to translate and tell me what you think it means. So I turn to Jeremiah 29, verse 13, the Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. I said, I want you to read that. So here he is, he starts reading, and then he looks up, scratches his head and he says, and it was just one of those moments, he said, If I seek for God with my whole heart. And he looks right at me with a smile. I will find him. I said, praise the Lord! He understood it. He was having an encounter with God right then and there. Right there at that MBA room. If you search for God with your whole heart, you will what? Find him. And sure enough, here Abraham has this very powerful experience. This encounter where God sets before him... A sign. A what? A sign. Now, this isn't one of those signs that just sort of disappear. This was designed to be constantly in Abraham's life as a reminder to him about the promises of God. You know, it's so funny is I, uh, I, when people sometimes ask me to speak different places, they'll call me on the phone like on Sunday or Saturday night, and I'll say, yeah, why don't you call me on Monday and remind me because I forget. And they're like, okay. And then we continue to do the talk, and he's like, oh, if I forget to call you, please remind me. And I said, yeah, okay, thank you. And I get off the phone I realize, wait a minute, I'm supposed to remind him to remind me to call him. But for Abraham, this was a constant reminder every single night of God's promises to him. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. Watch what happens next. Verse 6. And he, What? Believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for what? Righteousness. Do you know the word "believed" is actually the Hebrew word aman? Now, what word sounds like aman? Amen. Now, in Greek, amen means truly. But do you know what it means in Hebrew? It actually means this. To take a tent peg and to secure it fastly. It means, in other words, I firmly believe it. So what Abraham said to God, or what Abraham experienced right after God showed him all the stars, the Bible, I heard one Hebrew scholar put it this way, Abraham amen, the Lord. You know, when you say amen after your prayers, you know what you're essentially saying? I believe it. Now, how many times do we say, oh, Lord, please bless my food, amen. We think of amen as sort of this word you just put there, like period, or selah. Right? It's just sort of a finisher, it's it's the way of ending the prayer so everyone can get up. But to the Hebrew culture, the word amen means I firmly believe it. So many times we hear something so powerful, and we're like, Amen. Amen. And we think to ourselves, that's just sort of like saying, Yeah, I agree with that. Not to the Hebrews. They knew what it meant, and when they said it, they knew. And by the way, this is the first time that word appears. The second time it appears is when the children of Israel actually crossed the Red Sea, and the Bible says Israel believed in the Lord. In other words, Israel amened God. Amen. Amen. Do you believe it? Do you believe in God's goodness? Now you're thinking to yourself, now, where are you going with this sermon? You pay attention. You'll see what happens. If you haven't been to series, you've missed some things. Let's keep going. Verse 7, he said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, in other words, out of Babylon, to give you this what? Land to inherit it. God gives him a calling in and he says, Abraham, I have brought you to this land, regardless of what's happening around you. Regardless of the contradictions you are seeing in your circumstances, I have brought you here and I want you to believe me. You know, it's interesting, God gives us his promises at the time when all circumstances are contradictory to that promise. Don't you just love the Lord? By the way, has God given you a promise about your life? And you're thinking to yourself, God, there is no way you're going to fulfill this promise. Then you don't know the Lord because he is in the business of doing the impossible. Amen? I am the Lord your God. Is there anything too hard for me? Now watch what happens. This is where it gets very interesting. Now you need to pay attention. Verse 8. Abraham decides to question God again. He said, Lord God, how shall I know I'm going to inherit it? God, you're telling me this, but how do I know I'm going to get this? What he is asking for is some evidence or some proof that God is going to back up his words. So he said to them, bring me a three-year-old what? Heifer. It's a cow. A three-year-old female goat. A three-year-old ram. A turtle dove. And a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each one opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And the vultures came down for on the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. Now we're looking at this, many times we're thinking to ourselves, okay, I don't know what just happened here. God told Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want you to bring these sacrificial animals, I want you to cut them in half. I was going to use some stuffed animals, but I didn't want to rip them in front of the kids. So So you have one animal right here. He's cutting it in half, and he puts another animal here. He takes another animal, he cuts it in half, puts it right here, and he puts it right there. He cuts another animal, he puts it right here, and puts it right there, and keeps the the dove right there, or the pigeon right there. And the Bible says all of a sudden that night, all these vultures came, and Abraham came with this stick, and he's just swinging them, knocking them away, right? He's getting rid of these things. He wants to make sure that this sacrifice is not tainted. Now to us, when we make a contract, we sort of type it up, then email it to our friends. Please fill this out and send it back to me, or fax it to me. In fact, you can even uh, send it to me and send me your signature, and I can write it myself. We do things like that in today's culture, but back then, when the culture or the society wanted to make a contract, their word meant everything. And they wanted to symbolize it with a blood oath to show, look, this cannot be broken. In fact, when you read the story of Jeremiah chapter 34, God actually makes references to this type of contract. And so what this contract consisted of was basically splitting these animals apart and then one person walks through this, these group of animals And then another person who's making the contract would walk through, and what they would do is they would be on either side, and they would say something like this. If we don't keep this contract, may what happened to these animals happen to us. Their word was their oath. In fact, I found this very interesting uh, study that was done by an archaeologist. The Hittite ritual is similar to its biblical counterpart but the assyrian text may help us to understand its true significance essentially these rites served as self imprecation oaths by which the people called down curses upon their own heads should they fail to keep their part of the covenant they were solemnly, solemnly ratifying the ritual was a way of saying may what happened to these animals happen to us if we break these what this covenant you know when you make a contract with god it's a big deal It's a really big deal. Because you know what? God cannot lie. And when he's putting a signature on something, you better believe it. It's going to happen. Can you say amen to that? When God gives you a promise, you better believe he is very intent on keeping that promise. And when God says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, he means it. Can you say amen to that? We don't have peace with each other because we don't have peace within ourselves. And we don't have peace within ourselves because we don't have peace with God. And so this, this contract was arranged. And all of a sudden, God lays out the details of this contract and he says, okay, I want to show you some of the small print on this contract. In other words, before this, the inheritance is completely uh, concluded, there's going to be an event that's going to take place. Your people are going to be in slavery for 400 years. They're going to go through a time of purification. But when they come out, they will come to this land and they will inherit it. What God was telling Abraham was how the land was going to be inherited. He was giving them all the details of the contract. But after he gives the details of the contract, watch what God does next. Take a good look at verse 17. A good look at verse 17. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking what? A symbol of affliction. And a burning torch, a symbol of the word. Now watch this. That passed through those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. In other words, what God did by sending that torch and that oven as it went through, what God was saying... Now I have fulfilled this. Now I am placing my favor upon this contract. I am willing to sign this contract. Now what this contract was all about, now let's just rewind, don't you forget, the contract was about God telling Abraham that this land, this sky would be full of his descendants. All of them, as numerous as the stars of the sky, as if he could number them, sand of the sea. This was the fulfillment of that contract. Abraham walked through and all of a sudden, God sent that symbol, the torch and the oven, and it was symbolizing that God himself was going to keep that contract. And don't you forget, by them walking through, by both of them passing through, and by the way, this was none other than Jesus himself. How do you know that? Because Jesus told the Pharisees one day, before Abraham was, I am. This was none other than a symbol of Jesus walking through the sacrifice, the contract. Abraham went, God went at the very end. Both of them had entered into a covenant that if the details or the, the contract was not kept, may what happened to these animals happen to us, which was what? A splitting to be teared asunder, to be broken, to be sacrificed. In other words, we are willing to be sacrificed before this covenant is being broken, before it's ever broken, that God would honor his side. That he would absolutely, when he would enter into this contract, he may, meant it that he himself would be rather be sacrificed than this contract to bring all his descendants, as numerous as to the, the, the stars, as numerous as the stars, to bring them into the fold of God. Can you say amen to that? Now what we're going to do is something very interesting. We're going to go back. We're going to press pause right here, and now we're going to go back to that story. Where we first started when Jesus was in the garden thousands of years later and here Jesus is in the garden He is dying the weight of the world is upon him All of the promises of Israel are upon him He is facing the death sentence your death sentence in other words You will never die the second death because he died for you And here he is in the garden and he is dying, but the mission is not yet complete Phase one is completed, but here he is. The humanity of Jesus is giving away, and it could end right here, but the second part needs to be fulfilled. And all of a sudden, God sends that holy angel. Can you say amen to that? Now, this is very interesting. Watch what Ellen White says right here. No way of escape was found for the Son of God. In this awful crisis when everything was at stake, when the mysterious cup trembled into the hands of the sufferer, the heavens opened, and the light shone forth amid the stormy darkness of the crisis hour, and the mighty angel who stands in God's presence, occupying the position which Satan fell, came to the side of Christ. The angel came not to take the cup from Christ's hand, but to strengthen him to what? Drink it with the assurance of the Father's love. Now pay attention to the second part of this passage. He came to give power to the divine human suppliant. He pointed him to the what? The open heavens. In other words, Jesus, don't forget the contract you made. Pointed him to the same stars that Abraham looked at. He was reminding Jesus of the contract that he made with Abraham thousands of years prior. You know what the Bible says in Isaiah 53? When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed and shall prolong his days. In other words, as Jesus is being sacrificed, he's going to be given a glimpse of his seed. In other words, all the people who would be saved because of his sacrifice, and he will have strength to finish the race. In other words, what was given to Jesus was a reminder of that contract he himself personally made with Abraham. He pointed him to the same heavens. Abraham, don't you remember you made that contrast with him? Watch what else. Telling him of the souls that would be saved as a result of his sufferings. He assured him that his father is greater and more powerful than Satan. That his death would result in the other discomfiture of Satan. And that the kingdom of this world would be given to the saints of the Most High. He told him that he would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied for he would see a multitude of the human race saved, eternally saved. The storm it had in no wise abated, but he who was its object was strengthened to meet its fury. In other words, what gave Jesus the joy, the invigoration, the strength to finish the most difficult part of his death was when he was reminded Of the contract he made with Abraham. In other words, Jesus was invigorated. To finish the work. Because he wanted to see Abraham's promise come true. Can you say amen to that? And he would rather die. And be torn asunder from his father. Than to see this contract broken. Folks, we need to understand something right here. And it's something so important for every person to truly understand that salvation has been open to every person here. Can you say amen to that? That salvation is open for the worst of sinners. Salvation is open for every single person regardless of their past, regardless of their current situations. Salvation is open for every single person. You want to know why? Because Jesus was so intent on making sure the contract would be finished. He was torn asunder from his father. And don't you forget, what did he say when he was on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was being split, torn asunder, because he was so intent intent to seeing every one of you brought into heaven. Folks, listen to what I'm about to say. There is nothing Krishna can do to save you. Can you say amen to that? Buddha can do nothing to save you. Your own righteous works can do nothing to save you. You need a savior. Can you say amen to that? And I praise God because sometimes as Christians, we forget that we have a savior. And I like what somebody once said, Jesus is a better savior than you are a better sinner. Can you say amen to that? And this is so important for every person to understand. Do you know the Bible says in John chapter 14, God goes to build us mansions? How many people want to say amen to that? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says in John chapter 14, in my house are many mansions. The mansions are already built. The rooms are already built. He says, I go to prepare a room for you. In other words, what God is preparing for you are those rooms. The rooms are already there. Well, who did those rooms belong to? And how do they get vacant? Because of the fall of Lucifer and those angels. Folks, do you understand what I'm about to tell you? That you are taking the place of Satan and his angels, the position they once held. You are filling their rooms that have been left vacant by their rebellion. Folks, this isn't about you versus God. God's already on your side. This is about you and the devil. This is about you and Satan. This isn't about you and God. God's on your side. So many times we think it's about God versus me. It's not about God versus you. He's on your side in this this game of life. And Satan will do everything in his power to make sure you don't take his room. Look what Ellen White says right here. Satan has an accurate knowledge of the sins that he has tempted God's people to commit. He knows very well what sins he caused you to commit. And he urges his accusations against them, declaring that by their sins they have forfeited divine protection. In other words, you don't deserve God's grace because you have sinned. And claiming that he has the right to destroy them, he pronounces them just as deserving as himself. Now, watch this of exclusion from the favor of God. Now, these are his own words. Are these the people who are going to take my place in heaven? and the place of the angels united to me. Are you telling me these jokesters are gonna take my place? Oh, you can't be talking about these clowns, Lord. Look at them, they're worse sinners. They're they're just as bad as me, and you're telling me they're gonna take my place? They profess to obey the law of God, but they have kept, have they kept its precepts? Have they been lovers of self more than the lovers of God? Satan causes you to sin, and then he points at your sin. Have they not placed their own interests above his service? And by the way, is Satan speaking the truth? You better believe it. He ain't lying when he's accusing you before God. He's not telling lies. He's telling exactly what you did. Have they not loved the things of this world? Look at their sins that have marked their lives. Behold their selfishness, their malice, their hatred of one another. Will God banish me and the angels from his presence and yet reward these who have been guilty of the same sins? Thou cannot do this, O Lord, in justice. Justice demands that the sentence be pronounced against them. Folks, Satan wants to do everything he can to cause you to be forfeited of the very place that belongs to you now. Satan will do everything he can to see that you don't make it into heaven. He will throw so many temptations at you. He will allure you with the seductions of this world. He will cause you to be depressed and break your hold upon God. He will fill your mind with darkness and lies about God. He will do whatever he can to see you don't have his room. But folks, all you need to do is look at that moment when Jesus was dying and the angel pointed him up to the stars. All those stars... The Bible says that God knows every star by name. He knows them by name. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 12, all the righteous are like the stars in heaven. You need only to look at that place where Jesus died. You need to just look there, and you will realize you still have a place in heaven. Those moments that you feel forsaken, those moments when you feel like so confused like Abraham... Those moments when you're saying, God, what are you up to? You need just to look at the sky again. The same vision that God gave to Abraham, the same vision he gave to Jesus is the same vision he's given to you today. Just look up. Look up and see the stars again. And you will know you have a place in heaven. You will know that there is property with your name on it. And I can just imagine Lucifer scratched out and it has your name right next to it. Can you say amen to that? God has a place for you reserved in heaven, but Satan will do whatever he can to make sure you do not have that place. He's already a lost cause. He wants to take you down with him, but all you need to do, all you need to do is look up again. Look up and remember the same promise that was made to Abraham that was fulfilled by Jesus. And there you have the contract. And you'll know, my place is certain. My place is certain. My place is certain again. With all my sins, my place is certain. I still have the contract right here. I still have the contract right here. Folks, these are such important times. The devil is angry, the Bible says. He is wroth with the people of God. And if you're hearing this message... What God is trying to point your eyes to understand, your eyes to see is the same heavens he looked at that one day, 2,000 years ago when he was dying in the garden. He is calling you to look at the same stars, to find hope again, to find freedom, salvation. Somebody once said, fear, fear, looks backwards, anxiety, thinks about what's before, but faith looks up. Faith looks up. And God is calling you today to lift your eyes again to the contract that was given to you that God has placed before each person today. If you're somebody today who was thinking to yourself, Lord, is it possible that you can save someone like me, folks? I'm here to tell you, you are exactly the right candidate for salvation. You are exactly the right person to be saved. If you need it, God supplies it. Our only argument is our great need of that salvation. Can you say amen? We're going to do something so special. I want to invite all our elders to come to our front again. I believe the spirit of God is moving in such special ways. If you're an elder in our church, please come to the front. What we want to do today is have special prayer for you. The Bible says the same spirit that was upon Moses was upon his elders. What Moses accomplished, what he talked about, was the same experience the elders experienced as well. And if you're somebody today who needs to be reminded of that contract, you're saying to yourself, Lord, I need to look up again. I need to see you again. Folks, I want to invite you up. There's somebody here who says, Lord, I want to I see you again. I want to invite you guys up and I want our elders to pray for you. Is there anybody here today who says, God, I need to see you again and be affirmed of my salvation If that's somebody like you, please come to the front. There's plenty of time. There's plenty of time. God is calling for His people to be invigorated, to be strengthened again, that they will finish the task that God has set before them. If that's somebody like you today who is needing the grace of God, no person can save you. Nothing you can do can ever save you, but God is extending His hand to each and every person today. Please come forward, folks. Be prayed for by elders. Do not miss this special opportunity, this special moment to experience a blessing. These are the times that we're living in, that God is calling for his people to be saved. None need to be lost. No one needs to be lost. No one needs to be lost, folks. No one needs to be lost there's somebody who is looking for freedom today if you haven't experienced it yet God is calling you to come to him not to delay there is time folks there is time to experience the grace of God to experience the blessings of God nobody can save you nobody can save you but God Almighty to him belongs, escapes from death. For the rest of us, I'm going to say a short prayer and you're dismissed. Father, thank you so much again. Thank you, Lord, that you did not give up on us, but you kept that contract. The contract that Abraham's descendants, that those who are of faith, the Bible says would be saved, eternally saved. Thank you, Jesus, for being a God who never lies to us. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org